Hey SEOs and content marketers, say goodbye to crazy spreadsheet mashups and experience unprecedented connectivity between your SEO planning and reporting data. Introducing Audience Key, technology for keyword mapping, content brief automation, and rank tracking that form an SEO strategy system providing unparalleled feedback loops between planning, reporting, and optimization activities. Put your time and energy into strategy, not data upkeep. Visit audiencekey.com and apply for a free trial today. of February 2024, and this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls. It's uh, the 1st of February 2024. Um, how you doing, Christine? I'm good, just a little tired. <laughs> uh, catching up after my week away, even though I did a lot of work while I was away, I still had a little catch up to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were up in Seattle for the last week. I so. was, and I, by the way, I got to go to a Starbucks roastery, and I'm not a big fan of regular Starbucks. Starbucks roastery is pretty cool. They had a whiskey coffee that was amazing. So if you're anywhere near a Starbucks rest, roastery, go check that out. <laughs> Although that may be particular to that Starbucks roastery. I understand it takes the edge off the taste of the gum wall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I still did not lick the gum wall. <laughs> okay. Uh, quickly want to do a shout out to Audience Key. We had... Uh, Tom on last week, the uh, the founder of uh, Audience Key, um, and also you know what, a quick shout out to uh, Jeff Ferguson and Terry Van Horn, two of the SEO pioneers. It's it's their co birthdays today. Oh wow! Happy birthday, guys! Yeah, uh, Terry, aka Webmaster T, is arguably one of the longest serving uh, 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 SEOs. Um, starting messing with websites way, way, way back before the turn of the century, um, you know, in the, in the late, late, mid-90s. Been doing SEO for two centuries. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, within two centuries, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah I know this that for, really. This is a news-heavy week, and yes. some ways, and some, this is a weird one. In some ways, the way the news is unfolded this week, it makes me feel like we want to act like anchor people at a news desk. Google confirms indexing issue affecting some websites. Google investigating indexing delays <laughs> affecting some sites since Monday night. Working to identify and resolve, resolve root cause. So, okay, yeah, uh, Google's got an indexing problem, which means you've got Again? an indexing problem. <laughs> now, this tries to get. I remember we, we were in a conversation uh, during a during a product demo yesterday. And I think Christine, you mentioned that Google has a trillion plus documents in uh, in its index. Eh? It's corpus. I don't know if all of them are considered index, but yeah. So when Google says it's investigating an issue that's affecting a small number of sites, <laughs> yeah, what does that I mean? That. When when I read it, that's what I thought too. I was like, huh? If that's a percentage thing, that's a lot of sites. Like one percent of a trillion is, you know, quite a bit. <laughs> I think it's a hundred million. I was trying to do the bath in the shower this morning. I, you know, I ran out of stuff to count on. So, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think it's hundred. I'll go to Wolfram Afro and let you know. <laughs> um, so anyway, indexing problems uh, started uh, late Monday night, um, continuing into today. Um, they're going to run an update. Uh, 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 
every 12 hours. So the next update actually should be coming, coming quite soon. But um, as of now, oh. Google's having indexing issues. By the way, I was way off. Uh, 1% of a trillion, according to Wolfram, my good buddy, <laughs> is 10 billion. Okay. So if so, a small number of 1%, that's still 10 billion. Yeah, it could be 10 billion websites. You know, there's a WordPress uh, vulnerability that's affecting 1 million websites, and they thought it was really important to make a public announcement that there's a million WordPress websites that, 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 that are... Uh, that could be suffering from a suspected vulnerability. <laughs> oh, great. Fun, fun day for WordPress people. Indeed. But, but, but this, if you're talking about 10 billion being 1% of uh, what Google might be looking at, um, that's a very large number of web. Of, <laughs> it's uh, a very large number. Of documents. So anyway, Google will be indexing again soon. If you have um, a new document that's gone up that you really expected to see ranking on, um, not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and we have no more other information they didn't give us any niches or anything like that just not a, it's a small number of websites yeah um everything is relative so this one i don't know how to feel about it really bothered me when i heard that um mark zuckerberg had to stand up at a congressional hearing yesterday and turn around and apologize to families because their children were able to um, access drugs using um, Meta-owned Snapchat. Um, I'm sorry, using Meta, TikTok, uh, Snap, and uh, and and Twit and Twixter. Um, so yeah, I, th I think Mark Zuckerberg got uh, sort of like ambushed by 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 a congressman. Oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, the... Holly, Rep Representative Holly. Okay, and yeah. was forced to come up with an apology. Um, it was very I, awkward. I watched it on. I watched it live. It was a very awkward moment because the families are sitting there with pictures of their dead children, and was, he was made to stand up by Holly and apologize. And you know Zuckerberg doesn't usually come off as super empathetic anyway, so it was very it was a very awkward moment. So there are areas on um social media where people do illegal things oh my Again, yeah. I, i'm just wondering why that is surprising um it's a game well, of whack-a-mole for, for the social media companies you, you, you can't police this enough because you know there's always well there were there were some super cringe moments in the hearing though because i i rarely agree in these hearings with the congresspersons because they usually don't know enough about it but like, apparently, because you, you and I both know their AI detector is terrible. Like, I'll have things taken down for a supposed violation, and it has nothing to do with what the violation says. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, they had one where they showed an image of you might be getting uh, child pornography, and there's a box that says, "Here are resources to get help," or look at the image. And click on it. And so this uh, congressperson, I don't know which one it was, I can't remember, was like, uh, why is there a click to see image? And Zuckerberg's like, well, we're not always right. It could be, you know, not anything that was bad and we didn't want to block it. And I'm kind of going, oh, I think when it's that, when it's that, you probably should err on the side of blocking access to whatever it is. But, you know, but then their AI algorithms are so bad. And they always have these false positives that I don't, it's a, it's a hard one, but there were definitely some moments where 
they were really, really, really put on the spot. Section 230 was called into question again. Well, you know, why can't these families I, sue you for you know not doing your due diligence, things like that? So. That's actually what what I think is the real the real target of these kind mm -hmm. of hearings. Um, is is Section 230? Um, oh, definitely. It was brought up multiple times, and the basic argument was that uh, if you are failing to protect people from you know getting access, I do think they could do a much better job. We know from the whistleblower they could do a much better job. Uh, that uh, we should be able to sue you, and we can't sue you because of Section 230. Now, I think there are other ways they can sue, um, but that was the that was like Lindsey Graham's whole speech, uh, uh, Representative Graham, Senator Representative, I forget, <laughs> Senator Graham, Representative Graham. Anyway, um, they he's a, uh, he's a senator. Yeah, I thought so. I'm very tired. I'm like, what is he? <laughs> um, anyway, but uh, but they had some representatives in there too. And usually, there's usually they're separate. They're not in the same hearing. But anyway, uh, so he had you know the argument that uh, Section 230 needs to be removed. So like families like this who lost children to be able to buy these drugs online, and they weren't necessarily buying like um, they were buying drugs that they shouldn't have. So it was illegal. But like one kid who died bought Percocet for headaches and got fentanyl mixed in with the Percocet. So uh, so the idea that the family should be able to sue and Section 230 shouldn't exist. I mean, but on the, other, on the other hand, there are other laws you can sue on if someone's getting illegal drugs through your website that doesn't require removal of Section 230. So you're right. I think the target was, as it's been for a very long time, with a certain uh, political group in this country is to get rid of Section 230. Uh, indeed. Um, and for, for listeners who are unfamiliar, Section 230 is integral to the uh, growth and operation of the uh, web. It indemnifies publishers from uh, comments or, uh, or or things published by third parties uh, across their platforms. So Facebook lets you be a jerk because... Um, uh, it's your right to be a jerk, basically, and you and somebody who doesn't like the way you're being a jerk can't sue Facebook because it's your yeah. right to be a jerk in the public space. And it does, it does, it is a uh, you know the one of the big I don't know the right word for it, but it this law is if it was to go away would completely the web would the, 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 web. the nature of the web yeah. would web 2.0 would stop. Yeah, yeah, you would you would see social media die. You would see um, forums, you know, you which means blog. a lot of employment would stop. Yeah, yeah, um, anything that would which be is why this is relevant to the show. <laughs> yeah, anything that would be generated by someone outside the company that owns the platform could make that company that owns the platform subject to lawsuits. So, so it's a, it's a very big deal if you got rid of two thirty. Section two thirty critical for the. Um, stable running of the internet um flawed legislation indeed but still stable uh critical for this for the stable running of the web yeah okay and this is the whole thing with policy i mean like the, the web is when the web formed it was uh every computer in the world sort of kind of connected together by bailing wire spit and handshake agreements mm -hmm. and it it's become more and more and more formal as the years go on um, I remember in the, in the very beginning, it, it really was just agreements between um, the nonprofit organizations set up by governments, primarily the U.S. government and um, institutions, and 
the burgeoning uh, private sector. Now, a lot of regulations have to come into play because there's a lot more that we're doing with the web and it's become part of our, you know, daily commercial and communicative lives. Um, This is the the communication economy. We've we've passed the information economy and we're now in the communication economy. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the, the, the interesting thing is this stuff all happened in, let's just go back a decade or more. Um, but they often for like the drug sales, they use like the dark web. So people didn't get it off Facebook. They got it off the dark web. And so there wasn't, I think, it, I don't think government felt the need to regulate to that specificity on the dark web. Like dark web is just a place we need to regulate maybe. But uh, but now that it's common on all these platforms where these you know dealer dealers of drugs whether it's nation states or you know some guy in a kitchen somewhere um are able to reach all these people on these social media platforms well, well uh, it's an issue well we're on the topic would a deep fake of taylor swift going across the twixter platform um should that be enough to threaten 230 no i don't think so but how about a million deep fakes of taylor swift well yeah for those that don't know you want to tell the story? <laughs> well, okay. I mean, for those who don't know, AI yeah. lets you take uh, the clothes off people. And I mean, AI lets you do a whole bunch of stuff. And one of the things it lets you do is take clothes off people. Um, um, it's, you're probably you're not taking clothes off people. You're replacing their body with a picture of a nude person yeah, or but, approximation but. of what their body would look like. But what you're doing is you're creating a pornographic um, approximation of that character. Um which is, by the way, completely legal, provided you keep it to yourself. If you distribute it, you're breaking the law biggest time in the biggest way. Yeah, they already had a, this happen in a high school last year. And if you do it to school. children. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But, I forgot that child, part, yes. Yes, they did. It was kids in a high school did it to kids in high school. But yeah, the, the thing about this is that as a female, that it would feel so incredibly violating because you know that's not your image, right? But because the AI can approximate what your body looks like under clothes from the shape of your body in clothes and then fills in the blanks, it's still going to be very close approximation of what you would look like naked. And so the idea that Taylor Swift had to, um, you know, deal with what is a good approximation of her naked body all over Twitter because people are mad at her for dating the, you know, football player. Um, it's, it's it's very it's just a very concerning thing. I mean, Twitter's not good at safety, but it, they did shut down searches of her immediately, and then they started deleting all the images. And the safety group at Twitter, as small as it is, did come up with a tweet that stated what they were doing. And then it was, some people were conspiracy theory, and it was political. It wasn't political. It was that they're really trying to get rid of these images. But this is just going to become a worse and worse problem. And as a female, I can tell you, it is kind of a terrifying idea that as someone in this industry is well known, I could wake up tomorrow with pictures approximating my body because I wore clothing that allows the AI to draw the body. And, and then that's me. And how many people don't know it's not a real picture of me. Right. So it's just as a female, it's just a very upsetting thing. Yeah. So. Welcome to the new dystopian world of what the yeah. hell is real. Yeah. Um, but the reason, the reason I mentioned that the act of deep faking in and of itself is not illegal 
what the active distribution is, is because that's exactly what's happening across uh, many of the social media platforms, TikTok, Snap, X, Meta, etc. Oh. Um, the panoply of social media is used to distribute en masse. And the question is uh, about to come up in the biggest way. Should that threaten 230? By the way, I know that you should threaten 230, but there is a bill that was introduced immediately after this happened this week mm -hmm. um, to tackle non-consensual sexual deepfake images. So they are looking at making it um, illegal, I mean, digital, di digital pornographic forgeries of, of a human being. Well, again, um, it's going to come down to uh, the law is already settled on this. You're absolutely allowed to take a magazine and cut somebody's head off and tape it to a magazine as long as you don't distribute it as somebody's likeness. But you're allowed to make art that you enjoy yourself. That's the law, like it or not like it. Um, so th I, that's how it's likely to come down. Distribution is the key here. Um, do that and you're damned. I mean, do it and you're damned in the first place, but um, distribute it and the law will damn you. Uh, apparently these were made with Microsoft Designer and shared first on Telegram. So okay. I thought that it might have been made with a deep fake tech, you know, because there's deep fake tech that makes people into pornographic images. But no, it was just okay. it was just Microsoft Designer. So yeah, so I'm I'm glad to see that they're looking at making specific laws against this, just like we did against revenge porn. You know, that wasn't illegal until it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now it would just be a civil penalty, but uh, I really think they should probably make it criminal because that's just such a as a female, that's such a violation. Oh, it's such a criminal invasion, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's going to be a uh, argument coming in the in the future. And again, remember those numbers: two thirty, uh, specifically Section two thirty of the Communication Decency Act, um, which incidentally was a piece of nineteen nineties legislation, nineteen ninety six. Oh wow, is it that old? I didn't know. Yes, as I said, it's flawed legislation. But it did allow for the growth of the of the internet. Okay. Um, speaking of AIs, um, could a AI can AI be mixed with search to create a better mousetrap? That's the question perplexity AI is asking and trying to answer. And um, well, I wasn't satisfied with my with my playing around with it, but um, it made the New York <laughs> Times this week, and uh, there's a good deal of conversation about is this the path to a better mousetrap? How does how does perplexity work? Yeah, perplexity is basically using AI and large language models to just bring back summarizations and answers directly to your search, and so instead of getting like ten results, you get like the SGE response, but the whole um, product is basically an SGE response, uh, although it goes out and gets current URLs, so it's not based on what it was trained on like six months ago or something. I, I've, I find there's two fatal flaws to this tech. One, if uh, you don't get anybody to a website, which this one does not because it's summarizing everything, um, you could go to the website, but why would you because it's already there. Uh, what happens when all the websites go away? What do you have to access to be a search engine? Nothing. Um, because if search engines, if websites aren't getting traffic, they surely are not going to be there. You know, oh, indeed, don't put energy years. into something that's not producing yeah, for you. Indeed. Exactly. And then the other, the other fatal flaw for them is, um, 
the models get worse the less they have to train on. So they don't have an infinite capacity to train. And so a search engine completely based on large language modeling and AI to bring back a summarized result, which by the way, these also hallucinate because they're based on LLMs. Um, just doesn't seem like a long-term product to me. I mean, it could give Google a short-term hurt, but I just don't see how something that does this. Plus, to be honest, I don't want something that just gives me one answer that it found and brought back for me. I want to go do the research. I want to go see who I trust, what I believe. If I'm looking for a product, what are the reviews? What are the one-star reviews? What are the five-star reviews? If I'm going to spend more than $50 on something. I'm going and looking at all that, right? So the idea that it's just going to bring all this back, I think they may be missing the mark on what people really want long-term. Like they may think it's cool in the beginning, but I don't know that long-term people would be like, oh yeah, I don't want to do any research. I just want this to bring it back. And yeah, sometimes it's wrong. But oh, the sad truth, Christine, I will bet you 50% plus one of the people using search actually don't want to do any research. I, I would say there's a lot. I think a lot of people, a lot of people do want to do it. But yeah, the majority of people just want an answer on the go. They want to well, know how to get from point things. A to point B. Sure. sure, they definitely do for some things. But I'm just saying if it was this kind of tech would destroy the websites. So. Well, yeah, uh, it, it'll, I don't know about destroy, but it'll certainly change the way information is uh, distributed and what and what businesses do with their information, how they get it out there. But at the same time, somebody's always going to want to going to want to know the entire catalog. One of one of the companies I work with has. Um, oh, I'm like, you know what? I've, I don't even know how many exact categories of this type of product and then um, each or how many brands and then each, you know, subcategory of those brands. Um, you can't summarize an answer unless the um, prompt is, you know, unless the person continually prompts the machine and prompts the machine and prompts the machine to um, continue trying to dredge up answers. And, um, things get inaccurate that way. So I yeah. think there's going to be a role for websites, um, but that role is going to change. And how we build and um, advise our clients to make things available on websites is, is, is naturally, it's going to have to change as well. Well, what, that's what I'm saying, though. I'm saying I don't think that the websites are going to change. The websites won't have traffic, so the websites will just go away. Not that the websites... Are would go away just because this ex exists, but they would go away because they don't get traffic. So it depends on how dominant it becomes. But like the writer from New York Times said, if AI search engines can reliably summarize what's happening in Gaza or tell users which toaster to buy, why would anyone visit a publisher's website ever again? Why would journalists, bloggers, and product reviewers continue to put their work online if an AI search engine is just going to gobble it up and regurgitate it? And he brought up those fears to the head of perplexity, and he conceded that perplexity would probably send less traffic to websites than traditional search engines, but he said traffic would remain higher quality and easier to monetize. But I don't think that's uh, I true. Think, I think that's I, all true myself. Because oh, again, I, think... I, I can see reasons why you would go to the website. I don't, very keep, few. I don't want to keep prompting my way down um, I, into the exact answer I want, but once I, once I get a generative answer, I know what direction to look in. But this isn't a generative answer. This is a summarization of things that exist online. Well, well, well certainly. It's not but a generative I, version of that, but it's not I noticed just a generative in my, answer. I noticed in my search, in my searches using perplexity, uh, just before the show, I, the footnotes did have um, active links in them. Yeah, but I don't think people click on them. And I think no. what I'm trying to say is you, you and I both know 
the most smaller websites that aren't large companies are oh, hanging by a thread. Are screwed. Oh, they're screwed. Oh, yeah. So they're those gone. would all go. Uh, well, like the, that's this, what I'm trying to say. All those would go away. That so, there isn't going to be yeah. massive um, change in the market. There's no question about that. But um, I think the phrase creative destruction applies here. And again, this is one of those whether we like it or not, because it's happening. Um, things. So I think the phrase creative destruction applies here. This is a new technology um, just taking a sigh to everything in front of it, and things have to grow up behind it. Yeah, but you see, I, I have a different view on that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do this. You don't have to create this version. You oh. don't have to destroy the websites underneath. You, you don't, don't have to do anything that they're doing in the direction that they're going. Their only goal right now is to destroy Google, and this is how they think they can do it. Well, so I have, this, I have, I and take, this is the I, environment we have to live in. I, no, we don't have to live in it. We can tell them we will not use their products. <laughs> but okay. I take, I take, well, I take. That'll I happen, take, sure. I do take issue with a company that's um, just like I took issue with ChatGPT when it first came out, of being irresponsible on how they create their tech. And I think that it would be on us and the government to do more to hold them accountable to creating responsible tech. Because if you just suddenly destroy people's small businesses, I mean, we're talking about putting people out of work, putting people not being able to pay their bills. Like this isn't. That's a grand. Not a little that's thing. a grand tradition in capitalism, though. Keep up or get out. There's no way to keep up though if they're not sending traffic to your website. Yeah. That's yeah. a problem, eh? Yeah, that's a problem. So anyway, <laughs> I mean, my, I, I don't have a solution, and I don't it. mean I don't mean to be glib about it, and I don't have a solution. But as long as I can remember from my studies of history and you know the, the relatively long life I've led, um, this is just the way it goes on Earth. It does, but we can, we are not. We can do in. better. We can um, do better, and we can ask that they do better as the people that use their products. We can, and we should. We should. But and you know, but you know what. Then Google comes along and does something like this. Did you see the story this morning about the Google barcode scanner? Uh, I saw it. Okay, just this is like <laughs> fresh out this morning. Okay, so yes. um, Google business profile is now going to let merchants add products to their business profile in, in merchant center sections using a barcode scanner. And Google's going to even mail you a free barcode scanner. So you can have like your, your in-store products on Google Maps, in Google Search, uh, in, you know, in, in, in Google Merchant Center. And all you got to do is scan the barcode to get the most relevant salient information to Google. Google's standardizing. That's the only reason they would go to the cost of mailing stuff out to merchants is to standardize the, the data sure. they're getting from merchants for this exact reason. Which, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, by the way, merchants, if you want to save a whole whack load of time, check out um, the, the story is in uh, Search Engine Roundtable today. Google will, will send you the barcode scanner. Um, all that tedious time entering stuff in, data entry, or um, that's no longer really necessary. Neat, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what they're gonna why the why, but they're probably just because barcodes are an easier way for them to standardize things inside of you know Merchant Center and things like that. Well, yeah, and also you you can carry just a butt ton of schema data inside the bar in the barcode or data to oh, inform schema. Oh, yeah, that's true. and that's what uh, Google really wants. Yeah. 
uh, Google, the, the, the Google needs to standardize how everyone delivers information to them. And sadly, getting us to do it for them only goes so far. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, yeah, I could see the production inf information in the bar card code. So yeah, mm -hmm. it does make a lot of sense. Um, uh, so this becomes incumbent on, on us, the marketers, to not only get this information to our clients, but to make sure that the, the client's uh, taking advantage of this um, involved immersion center and is um, you know, completely delivering data to Google in the most optimal ways possible. Um, I, if this scanner actually works, it's probably the most optimal way possible. Yeah, that makes sense. By the way, this is not in our story list, but I feel I need to drop it in. I totally forgot data, so I apologize. Yeah, yeah. But on another Google product, so just a, uh, a, a action item for people, Google is going to update and uh, put Bard AI into messages, into Google messages. And uh, you will want to opt out of them being able to personalize responses because apparently uh, researchers are showing massive amounts of your private data will be leaked out to the uh, Google. Well, you know, I guess, you know, Google. I guess because Google's AI has to learn how to SAS back like you do in your own particular way? Well, you're literally messaging Google when you do this. So all that information goes to Google. But if you end out, if you opt out of the um, personalization <laughs> portion of it, they should be storing it. So <laughs> listeners, so, you've got to be really careful with this stuff. I, I work with an organization yeah. and we use Teams, okay? And uh, one of the managers, I think he had a, he had a bot set on because it kept saying test every five or ten minutes. The entire the, the whole network would light up with this guy writing test, and you know after a few minutes, it sort of became apparent that this is a bot writing a buck. Yeah. <laughs> you know that's kind of like being caught with your pants down on 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 a Zoom chat at the beginning of COVID. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> well, in this case, Bard's chat. You know that thing they always ask you. To understand the context of your conversations, your tone and interest, blah, 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 blah. We might want to analyze what you are writing. Just mm. remember when you're using Bard chat and message messages, um, it's going to analyze not just the text that you send, who you send it to, your sentiment, tone, mm. so they can help train their message or message better. But um, you may not want Google to have all that information. So I would turn it off. Personally, I would opt out. But just so people know, when I the mean, AI upgrade comes for Google Messages, do know that you do have a privacy risk. Remembering this is a, a world where um, the TV, where new televisions watch you watching in. Yes, they do. Some do. One of mine came with a warning. Do not say important things in front of your TV. <laughs> like, great. Isn't that awesome. nuts? Yeah, crazy. It's like, it's, like, it's like having to turn Alexa off to have an important life conversation so that Amazon or your insurance agents doesn't find out. Exactly. Crazy. So okay. where do we go to next? Uh, you know where I think we ought to go to go to next? Um, where we were where we were forced to go last summer. Google Analytics 4, GA4. And I know oh, it's, no. and people hate this. Oh. I know. But I you know, know why they hate it? Because it's hard terrible. to use. Well, you know, you, 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 got, you got the bucks for Adobe? That's the thing, say, you know. If you got the no, box for they, Adobe, go for it. You're going to get some, some some great standard analytics, but you know they, they charge you. Programs. There are good analytics programs. Don't cost a lot. Their SEOs are using things like Fathom, but you still have to have G4 because you might have to run ads or something. 
But I will maintain the same thing that I have said since it came out. And that is if I need another program to make your program usable, then your program is really bad. So you have to so use Looker to make what it What if, usable. though, what if somebody wrote an article that made it easier for you to make aspects of GA4 become actionable data? Because, you know, <laughs> wait, I, wait, wait. I had this conversation. I have an article. Mm. on how to make organic traffic actionable in an analytics program for well, Google. Well, how to, how to read the <laughs> analytics so that you can make the actionable decisions. How's that? Well, what I'm saying is, like, this product never should have been released. We all know that. Okay. Yeah, they no, know, I can, they but it's the universe we got to live in, you know? We, 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 I know. We, we, I know. I'm just saying that the, the, the meta world we're living in where you have to have articles to explain how to read organic traffic from an analytics program from Google, where most of the traffic you're reading is either ads or organic. <laughs> do, do, do you know why we got gas pedals? Because Barney Rubble was complaining how hard it, how he didn't want to have to wear sandals when driving. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. So, you know, they had dinosaurs lying yeah. around, so they made gasoline. <laughs> there you go. Mm, mm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we have GA4, which is kind of like, you know, as, as, you, as you're doing the the equivalent of the Flintstones um, gas pedalless car, you need another product to use it efficiently without it hurting you badly. Um, but what if, you know, you were able, again, do you, do you know how like, like a domain authority is a meaningless statistic to Google, but yes. do people who measure the, um, how Google feels about the link authority of a website, domain authority is actually an important and actual metric. It's just meaningless to Google. But That's it's a metric that they can make decisions on because to them, yeah, to people sure. who follow it as a metric, it's, you know, it's a solid line they can follow. Yeah, as long as you're using the same metrics from the same platform, so, you can compare whether it goes up or down. So, yeah. So the traffic traffic analysis, traffic acquisition analysis you get from GA4 might not really compote so well with what you were used to seeing in universal analytics, but it still works. And it's actually a really good way to get a grasp on um, how visitors are moving through different pages of your website. And, 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 and moreover, you can get a sense of the assists that different um, channels are making as they uh, move user to and from um, organic search. I've long maintained that that searchers often use Google and, and other search engines as filing cabinets. Yeah, I, I wanted. I, I would like personally looking at this to shoot myself because it doesn't Check. have organic. It has organic search, organic shopping, which is also search, organic social, organic video, which is also search, mm -hmm. or maybe not search. It's like, I just need, I, what I need when I look at it is like, it came from Google, it came from YouTube, it came from Twitter, mm -hmm. not, not this, this is, this is just a mess, but I appreciate that someone's trying to make it usable. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a good piece for what it gives you. It's, 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 it's not making GA for the most usable and she doesn't intend to in, in her piece either. She doesn't, she doesn't purport to. Oh, no, she did a great job. I don't mean it's her. I, I'm talking about the program itself. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. The, but the, the, the author of this, of this piece is um, just saying here, here's how you figure out organic traffic using GA4. I don't like it either. Um, and I'm <laughs> glad she, again. 
how to figure out organic traffic from a Google Analytics program where most of your traffic is organic or paid. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> it's at Search Engine Land. It was published this morning. Um, definitely, definitely worth the read. Yeah, it definitely um, is. It's got very good information in it. Oh, by the way, this morning being February 1st, 2024. Oh, isn't that Groundhog Day? No, tomorrow is. Tomorrow is Groundhog Day. Okay. Yeah, tomorrow is. Always is. Always is. Over I, and over and over again. Every day. I, <laughs> I'm totally out of the loop this week because of my travel last week. So. Well, I hate yet. to tell you this, East Coasters. Um, you got a long winter ahead of you, whether you, whether, no matter what it feels like right now. Here's a scary one. We were just talking about GA4. And combined with uh, Google Search Console and any other analytics program you might be using, um, it's a great, great, great power in knowing your, uh, knowing how traffic moves across your site. But the one thing that binds them all together is Google Tag Manager. And as it turns out, um, Google Tag Manager has some uh, security vulnerabilities. Um, just, just a few. <laughs> arbitrary script injections. Um, uh, data not leak. really being cool about consent for data collection, just sort of doing it. Um, <laughs> definitely violating EU data protection law, um, or potentially at any rate, um, probably. And it showed that architecture allows tags running on the server to share users' data with third parties circumventing browser restrictions and security measures like the content security policy. And as everybody who's doing technical SEO will tell you, it's the biggest damn blob of stuff that's got to get downloaded before anything can happen in the first place. And you're getting mad at me for having a big problem. Ah. Something needs to be downloaded. Google, thank you. Yes. Everything that's the heaviest on a page is usually a Google product, Google fonts, Google analytics, and Google tag manager. So Google Tag Manager um, has its problems. Apparently, it's the most useful thing in the world, and it's leaking your data all over the place and injecting weird stuff onto your onto your site. And it allows you, allows other people to get into your stuff as well. So I'm, I I would say one thing for sure: make sure you're monitoring your GTM. A lot of times, people set it and they don't go back to it for months. So do make sure that somebody has not <laughs> injected something into it. But I don't know what we do about the injecting leaking stuff out of it i think that's something google has to solve well, how do you know somebody's injected something into it what's your what's what's you what's your it. trigger how do you know it you, you would what? see it in the gtm so you'd have to you'd have to look because a lot you'd of times see a line know. that reads sergey is god like what 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 uh, what, what, happened, yeah. what's, what, what shows you i i had a client who had a had a hack and they went into their gtm and it was in there so okay. they know that the, the hackers know they're just looking for low-hanging fruit they can get in there and they know that you probably don't check it, but once every six months or something, um, they know they can get away with it for a while. So uh, I don't know how frequent it is, but I have had clients who had that happen to them. So it has happened. But Google didn't admit to security vulnerabilities, and now we know they have security vulnerabilities. So. Okay. Well, yeah. now we know. Um, and maybe it's all those weird scripts they're injecting but god it's, it is it, 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 it drives me crazy i i have this one dev who i work with who loves to hate google eh? and i get so sheepish when i have to talk to him identifying the biggest block of stuff is coming from google but it's all the other stuff we got to deal with don't worry about the google stuff i didn't mean to mention that well what i would tell i would what i would tell uh, your it team ask your people on your team to deal with security is to see if they can find a way to force tags 
um, to seek commissions. Because right now what the tags are doing is bypassing the manager positions um, in the system to inject scripts and to do things without consent. So your security team may be able to add stuff around the GTM that would force it, anything that's not supposed to be doing what it's doing, to force it to, to uh, check permissions or something like that. I don't know, because I don't know how it works with different setups. But that is what I would do, is have your security team look at this. If, and this is there's an article in Search Engine Journal today by Roger Monty about Google Tag Manager it contains hidden data leaks and vulnerabilities. Take this article over to your security team and tell them to take a look. See what they can do make sure it's not happening or at least that they can monitor the gtm to make sure if something happens that they can shut it down right away that's my suggestion okay so this might seem like one of those no-brainer google answers but google had to answer it anyway uh john john mueller um notes that it does take longer for google to process changes across a bigger website I'm sort of yeah. blinking my eyes at the monitor after saying that, like, well, that, <laughs> that should have been obvious. Well, you know what I think it is, is we have a new round of SEOs in the industry the last two years. And so they're asking the questions we would have asked a decade ago if we had anyone to ask, because we didn't have anyone to ask back then. So, so or two decades ago for some people. So, um, yeah, so obviously if you change a lot of URLs on a large site, Google has to do a whole bunch of things. And if you trigger... Google having to reevaluate that page, um, then they have to do the whole, you know, processing of it, the semantics, the, you know, and by the way, the scoring, this is where response uh, and render become real important. Response mm -hmm. render and JS render. Yes. So yeah. when Google goes through your website, it actually takes two passes at it. The first one is a cursory glance to figure out what it's about, where it should be, who it's being compared against, et cetera. You know, the, 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 the basic front event envelope information. This is the topic web of the website and the headings and um, all the important stuff, the metadata, et cetera. The second pass, and, and from that first pass, it schedules a second pass based on what it reads and a few other criteria uh, to happen at a subsequent date could be tomorrow, could be next week. And that's when it unloads the Java, when it when it, when it unpacks everything associated with the page, really gets into the content. Um, if it, if it, if it, if it uh, perceives any changes of content on, on its uh, on its first pass, it really, really, really does the second pass. That's, that's its JavaScript render. Many headless oh. sites don't do response HTML well for the very first pass. And that's something you really need to check with your dev team. Yes. Certain things have to be in the raw, like your canonicals have to be in the raw. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or what I had on one site is it told me that it didn't respect the canonical and this was not Google rewriting them. And I went and it was a React site and React on the render created a new canonical that was different from the raw. And then according to John Mueller, when I talked to him, it, Google would just decide which one to take. So it wouldn't necessarily take the raw or the render, it would take either. So like right now I have a site that I'm auditing that has two canonicals on every page. Oh, geez. So you also want to make, yes, it happens more frequently than people think because developer will put it, like say one developer is working with the, the, this dynamic portion and they mm. put it in the render state and somebody else has already put it in the raw state and they don't notice that because they don't see the code and it goes up, right? Because it's dynamic. So, uh, so it's really important that, uh, you make sure if you're having canonical issues that you don't have duplicate canonicals or you don't have two canonicals 
one in the raw, one in the render, and Google's just taking whichever one that it likes. So you want to make sure that. But and also, by the way, when you're doing a site migration, so I did a site migration. Um, <laughs> the, the, we did we did the site migration over two years three different ways because the company got bought out and then renamed itself and then bought out again. But anyway, by the time we got to the migration, we migrated nine domains into two and two, including language domains, subdomains and main domains. Mm -hmm. The whole thing went in five days. Everything transferred in five days. But you know what we didn't do in that migration? We didn't change any of the content. We changed architecture and URLs, but we didn't change content because this content requires a whole reassessment of the page for semantics and relevancy and topics oh, and things like that. Did you come through just fine? Five days. Everything transferred in five days. Nine domains into, well, I was into two, sorry. Nine domains into two. All the traffic transferred in five days. I've never seen it go that fast. That's but also we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't change any content. We only changed URL structure. No. So I always, when I do a migration, I never do content changes at the same time we do the migration. Do the migration first, content second. Because once you do the content changes, as it says here, you know, we're talking about today, uh, from the article, uh, Google will have to reassess the document and the documents in that structure. So you want to make sure you separate the two. You don't do both at the same time. Either change your content before the migration or after the migration, but not at the same time, which is often what people want to do. They want to create new pages during that, but you want to wait to do that. You can eliminate, but don't don't add or change. Unless you want yeah. to take a while. That's when it takes like three or four weeks or two months or something like that. Yeah. And in that time, your traffic will drop uh, significantly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have a really long story I can tell about getting canonicals right, but it would take too long to tell. Um, get your canonicals right. <laughs> it's it's get a your canonicals critically, right, yes. critically important thing. Don't have two of them and don't have a different one in the raw than the render. <laughs> those, those oh, and make sure things. that they're directed to the right place. 99% of the time, your page is going to uh, self-canonicalize, canonicalize back to itself. Yeah. Um, if it's a paginated page, page two, page three, page four of a catalog, canonicalize back to its parent. Um, in the very rare instance um, where you're basically copying a document from somewhere else, and you, cannot, you will canonicalize back to them. But that is like, I've never actually done that. In my entire career, but I'm sure there's a case. There's there's a number of times when you would do that. Uh, I'm not sure if I've done that or not. I have Indeed, to get some yeah, I don't I know. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a, well. Again, we're about getting our clients' stuff into into this into search and their original content and such. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Speaking of, <laughs> well, no, actually, I was gonna I was gonna jump to the uh, new core web vital. Oh, no, um, no. We have a canonical story. Oh, do we? What was that? We do. Yeah. This is a really odd one. And it's uh, uh, it's the one where they're taking the signals and whoever they des Google decides is the original owner gets the signals. Yeah, this is, this is a tough content. one. Very weird. <laughs> yeah, this is a tough one. Syndicated content goes all over the place. Yes. Um, many of us who've been writing for a long time have our content syndicated without our knowledge or consent, but it just sort of happens that way. Um, although, you know, quite frequently, um, publish uh, uh, newspaper columnists, um, uh, 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 people who uh, write um, uh, content for law sites, real estate sites, etc. So it's just going to, you know, go be, be all over the place. Um, 
how to so say this. Can, yeah, they might choose the syndicated partners canonical as the canonical and therefore take the signals from your original page and send them over to this is how I read it anyway, so if I'm wrong. Send it to wherever they decided the canonical lies, which may not be your website, even though you originated the content. Except for they didn't say if links values would be sent over. It's very weird. I don't understand why it would be that. And you know what else I don't understand? I'm a little bugaboo with Google. Um, they have index now, now, which is, you know, the they don't use it officially, but they are testing it and Bing uses it, where you put in a list of URLs and they instantly know those are your URLs and they go crawl them. Uh, or they have Twitter Firehose, where they just get the content direct. Why can't publishers give them a little, because they already give a new sitemap, right? Why not have a sitemap where it says, this is the article, this is the canonical, timestamp it, and then Google knows that's the original source, and they never have to worry about any of this. What I don't this know. Is, what this is more it. about, there's, I'm going to use uh, one specific columnist as an example, named Leonard Pitts, writes for the Miami Herald. Uh Leonard Pitt's work is distributed in thousands of uh, smaller market newspapers across the United States. But it was originated in the Miami Herald. That's where it was published the very first time. The Miami Herald is the canonical source of that article. Pitts wrote it for the Herald and the Herald sold it to its syndicate network. Every publisher thereafter should not canonicalize that they are the origin originator of the content because they're not. In fact, what Google's saying is you should use meta tags to block indexing of this content because yes. it was the Herald that was the original. Right. The problem is this is one of those times where Google goes, we don't care how it actually works in the real world. We're going to tell you to do this. No, well, nobody that's syndicating content is going to know index their content. Well, the, the problem with, for this is because Google, how to say the Google lets its bot go and choose what it thinks should be the right canonical. Right. And it often does that based on, um, uh, 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 I hate the term, but based on page rank. Um, you know, based on on the the, 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 the the aggregate weight of value of all incoming um, authoritative links. And then what they do, I, apparently I was wrong, Roger confirmed that they do take the links and push it towards the syndicated, the canonical that it thinks is the canonical, that page. Indeed, so, but they can get it wrong. Right, no, that's what I'm saying. So I'm mom and pop, uh, let's say I write about coffee and, and some Starbucks syndicates my content, not that they just syndicate, mm -hmm. but syndicates my content. Um, Starbucks will get the credit for the being the publisher, and then all the link values going around where that's syndicated all come into the Starbucks site, which is just so messed up. You know what? That's actually um, a much better example than the Miami Herald, because in this case, Starbucks is the big thousand-pound gorilla, um, yes. but the original so writer don't get no credit. Yeah, because here in Vegas, there's a place called Mothership Coffee. It's very locally well-known and is not a chain. Nobody else outside of Vegas probably ever heard of it. And they, they have a website and they write blogs about coffee. Let's say Starbucks did syndicate coffee. Well, now Starbucks would get the ranking and the, and the link values, and it would all be sent to the article on Starbucks because Google decided Starbucks was the originator, even though Mothership Coffee was. And so they're telling you to no index, have your syndicators no index those pages. Also, I think they're trying to shut down link schemes because they get links on sites that send over with, you know, don't put the no follow on, so they get the juice. But but they're telling you to tell like 
Starbucks to put a no index on my article and Starbucks would probably go, uh, no, well, we want the traffic for the article. So we want it to show up in search. Why would we put a no index tag on there? What is the purpose of syndicating content if no one can find it except through a link on your website? There isn't any. So, 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 it, so the idea that people, that the publishers are going to put no index tag is, is ludicrous. Not, of course they're not. It's ludicrous. It's not going to happen. So, so Google's, Google, Google's, this is a catch 22 solution for a, a problem Google's kind of created itself. Yeah, because they're trying, I think, to shut down the link values that get passed through syndicating content. Yeah. So, so again, yeah, it's a catch 22 solution. Yeah, because nobody's going to do the no index. But oh my gosh, why can't they just use a sitemap submission with a canonical tag, timestamp it? This is the original content because they can do it for Twitter and they can do it for new sitemaps. Why can't they do it for the publisher's content, right? And here's the canonical and this is the original. They don't do that. So um, so they're trying to get you to get all your syndicators to put no index, which they're not going to do. Um, but now I guess they're letting everybody know if you have syndicators, we're going to send the value to the syndicator hoping then you will get them to shut it down. But if I mothership coffee, I am not getting Starbucks to do anything. By the way, very important disclaimer. If you're the lawyer of a large corporation who feels maligned by anything said in the last segment, we didn't mean nothing by it. And the major corporation mentioned didn't do anything wrong. We were just talking hypothetically because you know, they, they would I picked, do that. I picked a company that doesn't syndicate, so we're good. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So they don't even do that in the first place, lawyers. Go back to work. Syndicate. I was picking a country company that doesn't do it, so that way there's no there's oh, no Okay, issue. yeah. So Starbucks lawyers, go back to work. Jesus, what are you bugging us for? Um, they don't syndicate content. So, as far as I know, I could be wrong. But. Technical SEO is important. It, is. I, I, it really is. There's a, there's a there's a big push on right now to sort of demystify technical SEO, and technical SEO actually should be demystified. It's much oh, like cool. um, understanding how the engine of a car works. It's incredibly complex, but it's not, you know, rocket science exactly. Um, to 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 steal an, an old phrase. Um, but technical SEO is incredibly important. The machine has to run properly, or it's going to gum up. It's going to gum up in the workings of the greater machine. So Core Web Vitals is important, not because they themselves are explicit ranking factors, although they are measures of things that are ranking factors, but because they are measures of usability, and um, you're creating a better website, you're making a better, faster, more operable machine. Yeah, there's ranking They just don't do much. They well again, they themselves don't. But overall, the improvement of quality in the website does do something. But does, you can't yeah, trace it back to this point, this point, or this point. It's the it's the cumulative effort of all those points. Right, but when they launched it, said it was a ranking signal. It should have more effect. It doesn't, but it is good to to adhere to it because people stay on your site longer. You'll get more conversions. People will visit more often. So. It's, it's a good thing. I just wish it had more power. PageSpeed was wonderful. I could get like 100% growth on PageSpeed. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Well, interaction to next paint is coming along. And I think this is actually yeah. really cool. Um, so it used to be important to measure um, uh, 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 time to first. Well, time first is still very, very important. But um, interaction to next paint is replacing which? Uh, oh gosh, you would ask me. I'm sorry, I thought it was time for first bite. Um, 
No, time for first bites not in the CWVs. It's important, but it's not in the CWVs. It's um, FID, I think. It's replacing FID, first input delay. But that's right. That's absolutely correct. So yeah. this is all about how long does it take um, your page to become usable after somebody starts using it. Um, so you start interacting. Um, what's the time to the next paint of the page after you start working with it? When does it, when, when does it actually start doing something for you? Um, that is going to become a usability metric as of the middle of next month. I'm sorry, the middle of well, next month. This is February. So middle of March, March 12th. Yeah. And you want to make sure most sites I know don't pass when I do the audits. So you want to make sure that you're passing that so you don't suddenly have a decline. Because you and I have both noticed that all while there's not much of a boost from CWVs, going down in CWVs does seem to be correlated with downs in your actual visibility and traffic. So uh, you want to make sure that that's not going to be a problem for you. Um, how to say this? I don't want to be confused with the term holistic SEO, which is is, is being branded as a term for a, for a Another, another sort of type of practice, but I've always taken a very holistic look at how the website um, is perceived by Google. And I, you know, I will say with certainty that if you mess around with titles and uh, H1s and you do it really well, you will move the needle. But there's very few things you can say that with certainty about. Yeah. What I can say that is if you try to do as good a job as possible, make as tight a website as you can, have concise but really helpful information, useful information, um, just you know, follow everything that Search Console is telling you. Well, everything reasonable Search Console is telling you. Some of the some, some stuff is, is less, imp less, less important than others. But if you do all or try to do all the right things, you're never actually going to do all the right things, but you're trying to, you are most likely going to generate really good results. Yeah, it's, it's all on a like, tends to basis. Sure. It's sort of like when you turn in a paper at school when you're younger, right? Like, you know, your creativity was part, your writing was part, your structure was part, your, yeah. and it all adds up to an A. And so when you're doing your you know, website and optimizing it, you're not just optimizing keywords, you're doing your technical, you're doing your off-page. You want to make sure you hit as many marks as possible so you so, get an A. So in that way, core web vitals are important. But as Christine said, you'll never actually put your finger on it being the thing. No, unfortunately. I, like I said, page speed which was applied at the keyword level and tiebreaker at the keyword level. Oh yeah, I could get, I could get a hockey stick off just page speed, but that doesn't happen with core web vitals, unfortunately. So, but it is important and also important for your people, site stickiness and conversion rates and things like that. So it's definitely worth doing. And you want to make sure uh, they're already reporting on this for like the last, I don't know exactly how many months, but I know I've seen that in there for at least six months. So, so yeah, so you want to make sure you do that. Okay. Uh, it was last week or maybe the week before we reported on a new feature in Google search called circle to search. You're yeah. At a, an image on a, on a Google page, sort of circle around that image and Google knows, oh, you, you're interested in that. It's being rolled out globally um, in, on the Pixel 8, Pixel 8 Pro and Samsung Galaxy S24 series phones. Yeah, and you just circle and you and it does a search for you, which by the way, a Bing is apparently trying to copy. We'll see if they get if they do it. 
But uh, yeah, so I think that's one of the features actually is out of all the bad features that have come out lately, I think that's a good one. So if I'm just looking at something, I can circle it and Google will look for it. Unfortunately, I believe Lens is behind it and Lens tends to be very product oriented. So I don't know how helpful it'll be outside of product, but we'll see. Well, and if you are an e-merchant, how do you think the best way to get information to Google is moving forward? Remember that barcode scanner we were talking about like oh, yeah, 50 yeah. minutes <laughs> ago? Like, Where's them going? Oh, yeah, barcode scanners. That was like This is exactly what that, that barcode scanner is made for. That is true. That is very true. That's a standardization process which would help them standardize search. Yeah, that would definitely. Um, but he... I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, as, again, as much as I sometimes fear for the automation, uh, automation of many things that we do as 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 SEOs, um, we'd be we'd be remiss and irresponsible not to advise listeners check this thing out because it's really important. Yeah, it is really important. Do I, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but there's two things in Google we should probably talk about real quick. Yep. Uh, one, they have two new image products, AI image products. One is a very simplified version of um, an image product. You just put like dog on skateboard and it'll make a dog on a skateboard. And there's another one. That, <laughs> yeah. The world needs more and dogs then, on skateboards. <laughs> and then there's one uh, that's going to be much more sophisticated where you can put in sophisticated prompts like you can with Midjourney or Dolly to get much better images. Uh, it's also going to be watermarked. Um, the one that has the customization uh, aspect is called ImageFX. Uh, the Alchemist Lab is the simplified one. And it's going to be, according to Google, ImageFX is a customization options for more serious artists, a novel prompt interface that lets you quickly experiment with adjacent dimensions of your creation and ideas. Uh, it's in the AI test kitchen in the US, Kenya, Kenya, New Zealand, and Australia. And then the other one, I believe, is just going to be Google Image Generator, like in just readily available to everybody, I believe. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with those. And digital watermarks will be embedded in the pixels. So Google, remember, they were going to put, uh, we talked about, not you, Jim, I know you remember, the audience, uh, that they were going to put labels on generated images in search, so uh, AI-generated images. So this is the first step in doing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I think the last thing we definitely have to talk about before we go today is SGE coming or not? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I think it was Mark Traphagen who first who who first started making waves that Google sort of admitted it's back burning SGE in a uh, in a blog post to put out the other day about new ways of search. Yeah, there was uh, apparently a change in how Google described, I don't know where page it's on, but somewhere in Google Labs, I believe, where they changed the wording. And so it sounds like SGE is going to be held in the background with search lots. Uh, you know, truthfully, I think it just makes sense because when you and I talk about Microsoft, they get barely any increase in market share, but a 14% increase in usage had to create a new chip just to keep up with the processing power. It's a very expensive proposition. And if, if Bing isn't the competitor that they thought they would be when they started this, and ChatGPT isn't the competitor they were worried about when they started this, why why take the risk? Plus, take the risk to the ad hit on ad revenue. So, but it seems that uh, they're just hold, they are holding back on it, according to what Roger Monty 
reported in SEJ on January 29th. Um, so I don't know that they've given any reasons for it, but I believe that uh, Roger had three big problems outlined, and I think he's right that LLMs can't be used as information retrieval systems. Basically, they can't be used to search because of things like hallucinations. Uh, the transformer architecture is inefficient and very costly, and generative AI tends to do a lot of things where it pulls in wrong information. So it's it's not a replacement for search. It's not really a great addition to search. Uh, you know, that's always been my opinion. Yeah, granted that their competitors aren't really competitors. Why take the risk? Would be my guess. But that's just a guess. I think that uh, Google is seeing where the market's going before moving forward with it. And I agree with you. Um, it's why, why invest all this money in something that is... Um, being used but not being used as intended like people aren't replacing search with uh with 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 uh copilot although they're using copilot to prompt them moving to prompt them in directions to go in um and again i do think that the quick answer searches um i i often bring up the box scores um because the um 1992 93 back-to-back -back wins by the toronto blue jays of the world series that's all that's in that's no one's going to write that differently. Right. Um, but the thing is, they already have a way to pull that in without having to do the SGE experience. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And I, I think that they, I, I really think they licked it being as the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. if, uh, earlier this year, we were, or last year, we reported that they almost had to shut down ChatGPT and Bing's now coal pilot because they're running out of processing chips. And NVIDIA stepped in and made them and NVIDIA stuck went through the roof and, you know, now they're making those chips. But that's an incredibly expensive process. And they didn't even get a much of a percentage of 1% in market share increase. Um, so they've even, in a lot of the cases, Bing has uh, moved the, their version down the page. And and their version is, is got a whole process to try to help make it better with the orchestrator and Prometheus, you know, grounding it in certain search results and things like that. And if they're not getting any market share, I think Google went, eh, and it could really hurt our ad revenue. So meh, why don't we just hold off? <laughs> That's my belief. So. Here's, here's the deal, though. They're holding off. It's not like yeah. they're not doing it. This is no. SGE may or may not be an inevitably inevitability. AI enhanced search is hundred percent inevitability. Definitely. I mean, we're seeing it now. Circle to search is an example of AI enhanced search, but that's a useful example, especially if it sends exactly. back to my to uh, my clients' pages. Yeah, that's what I think. You know, that's what I always thought. Google is always going to try to make it. Um, ubiquitous, it was just going to be in a whole bunch of products and you wouldn't even really realize it was there until ChatGPT came along because Google is the one that originated when augmented technology. reality was going to be everything augmented reality yeah. was going to change the way we shop, the way we think, the way we move through our cities the way we look at museums, etc it didn't yeah, you know what <laughs> I'm a big process person, like always look at the processes involved before you make big claims. Apparently, when you read the analysis from people who study the architecture of the web, there's like this is impossible. We cannot support it on the web that we have. It'll be 50 years minimum before we have a web that can support this. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. So it may happen in small spaces, but it's not going to take over everything. So that's sometimes you got to look at the process. In this case, the big limitation, the big factor is LLMs are insanely expensive. And even Google doesn't do a true LLM, as we know from reporting earlier last year. It would be a thousand times more per query. Per query, they do hundreds of millions, billions of queries a day. Even if that was one penny per query, that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. For no, and one of the scene in Bing is no real 
no real results. No users aren't flocking to Bing because they have it. So I, I think it's just a practical decision. And if that changes, if the cost comes way down or something, that could all change. You know, regardless of the exuberance out there, AI is in its infancy. We still don't know exactly what we're going to do with it or no. exactly what it's going to do with us as a, as a society. Either way, it's, a lot is going to change. And, uh, you know, staying on top of it is uh, 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 not only important, it's also a good deal of fun. <laughs> it is. Although, I tell you, I follow a lot of the AI researchers on LinkedIn, and they're already calling this is the end of the LM era. So we could see all this go away in a couple of years. I'd be replaced by something completely different. So. There you go. Yeah. And uh, that will always keep all of us employed. That's the beauty of, of being an SEO. We live on, oh, gosh, we we live on change. <laughs> yes, we do. And yes, on that, we, we got to go. We've gone, we've gone like about five minutes over time. I know there's, again, people coming up in the studio after us. So on behalf of Christine Schackinger from Sites Without Walls, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You've been listening to Webcology recorded live to podcast on February the 1st, 2024. Stick around. There's a, a, a oh, yes, you know what? This isn't a live show. Okay, don't stick around. Go do whatever you want to do. You've heard the whole show. Rank well. Be kind to each other. Uh, be well. And uh, we'll be back to talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.